Hello, folks. Thank you for joining me for the third episode of Meet Me in the Middle. I'm excited to sit down with my friend uh, Ronald Clay and talk about uh, economic inequality in the city of Chicago. Inequality, it's a word that you cannot seem to escape. Wherever you go, you see inequality, whether it be economic or racial. Oftentimes, they appear to go hand in hand. When you turn on the news or read a scholarly article, you see mentions of severe and systemic inequality in cities. A lack of opportunity and political corruption and rampant crime are the picture painted by multimedia conglomerates. In Chicago specifically, a picture is painted of a land with little opportunities for those with low income. Solutions being offered such as a state-earned income tax credit, child tax credit, subsidized housing, child care and health care, state-backed bonds given to children. Uh, whether the uh, efficacy of these solutions is sound or not, the entire discussion of the episode is centered around uh, perspective. And that's why I got my friend Ronald Clay on to talk about uh, his on-the-ground perspective living on the south side of the city. So, uh, Ronald, do you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Real quick. Uh, yes, my name is Ronald Clay. I am an engineer at Moody Bible Institute. I'm also a an MDiv student here as well. Uh, soon to be graduating in the spring of 23. I do live on the south side, from the south side, city and suburbs. So I have a perspective of uh, best of both worlds and understanding some of the things. I wouldn't quite quite phrase it in that way. But I do have a perspective on these issues and topics, though. Yeah, well, we're excited to get into all of that here today. So, uh, uh, Ron, what would you say the uh, economic situation is on the uh, south side of the city? Well, first of all, that's a broad question, the economic situation on the south side. South side is is it's High Park as well, where Obama lives. So. Mm -hmm that situation is different than Inglewood, right? Which is University of Chicago is on the south side and all they have purchased, which is by Kenwood, Washington Heights, Washington Park, I'm sorry, um, it's much different than Roseland. Um, you also have Morgan Park and you have Beverly. Beverly is upscale, you know, uh, high tax, um, diverse, but big homes and private schools. Uh, so it's south side is broad. That's a good thing to say because oftentimes the uh, stereotype in the media is the South Side is just run down and poor. Uh, so it's it's good to get that perspective that there are areas that are affluent. So my question more specifically is from your experience in your community in the areas you've lived in. What's that situation been been like? Have people been able to find jobs or what does it look like? Again, I, I, I don't think it could be narrowed down to like people being able to find jobs. I think those things are and what the founding fathers of America intended it to be was um, an individual effort towards a greater goal in wanting to provide for one's family, uh, pursuit of happiness for oneself. And I think that the opportunities given in America are there for all. Um, one would have to travel outside of America to very understand poverty and the lack of opportunities. And I don't think that exists in America. I think what exists in America is a lack of effort, a lack of insight, foresight, um, and a lack of seeing an opportunity as an opportunity. Uh, one would think that being in school is a waste of time. So they would drop out, do something that's quick money. But 
because they don't want to spend the time for school. But school can be, or at least for me in the past, nowadays, a lot going on in the schools <laughs> that would deem it as a waste of time. But one would deem school as an opportunity, uh, something to work and to invest in now, knowing you put the work in and in the future, it'll benefit you. Uh, learn how to read, um, to write, and count the basics right but if you don't know how to do that then you don't see it as an opportunity and therefore it bites you later on in your later years by not having that education and one would deem that as a lack of not having the opportunity Mm -hmm. well did they do everything they were supposed to do did they learn what they were supposed to learn did they take advantage of the opportunity they were supposed to take take advantage of early on if not what people are deeming as unequal are the outcomes which people are painting as equity nowadays and equity in uh which is a financial term which i think is being misused but in the 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 way that they're using it as far as equity they thinking that it should be an equal outcome when that is far from biblical and as far from the truth right so opportunities are vast And depending on being realistic on where you are, then if people are realistic about that on their current individual situations, which one is not one, uh, a one size fits all situation with like economic opportunities with the South side, that's a broad overall statement that dismisses the accountability of the individual. And I think if we, as individuals will take accountability of understanding where we currently are, then we'll know what we need to do to move on and to see our opportunities, take advantage of them to reach our, our realistic attainable goals. Yeah. So thank you so much for touching on the uh, necessity of seizing opportunities. Where would you say the lack of initiative has come from? And that sort of nihilism that comes with it too, not thinking there's any, options of the future because it's a little difficult people in our society especially now convenience um and the now are where where we're living in the how quick we can get it hard work dedication integrity um vision is what is lacking today and because people are wanting to get things in the now and the unrealistic picture that the media is painting about what it takes to get what people put out there and what they have attained. For example, if I see like the rap, the hip hop culture that is very uh, hand in hand with the hood, right? With um, people of color, it's hand in hand. So when they watch videos, they see award shows, they see people with chains and they see people with certain money. They want that as well. So that's why it's hand in hand with the drug culture, because that's how they're able to easily obtain those things that they see on TV with the rap culture, Um, with the money, the cars, the women. Hard work went into that. A talent went into that. Investment, risk went into that. And not everybody makes it to get to that level where they can see that that is something they want to have. So therefore, they don't see school and other things as opportunities in getting that. They want it now. And the convenience of being able to get that now uh, is 
the road less taken, meaning um, the drug the drug game, uh, game produces gang culture, uh, the quick fix, the the money, the easy money now, and that and that comes from, um, unfortunately, that's handed down from the neighborhood to the kids because of the lack of the home structure. Um, the lack of parents or two parents being in the home and then the parents leaning on that same culture to provide for the kids and the kids coming up in that and they wanting that as well. And it's handed down in that way. So I think there are a lot of factors that are ignored, overlooked that go into this mindset. And I think that people are unrealistic about what is actually happening and they're coming up with unrealistic solutions which produces more turmoil and um pain and what we see now in certain um neighborhoods and opportunities i mean uh certain neighborhoods and cultures uh in our society yeah so speaking on that um lack of uh, support in the household and all that is that parenting crisis exasperated by uh, cultural factors or more so economics, like they're both parents maybe needing to work? We're talking about the black family. Where I'm at, there are a lot of homes with no fathers, right? And that pattern has continued on down the generations. Um, I grew up in where a lot of my friends didn't have fathers around or in the home. Some of them did have a relationship with their fathers outside the home. A lot of them didn't even know who their fathers were or even know who they were, but they just didn't talk to them. Right. So um, now you have men who are growing up not having examples of what men or manhood is. And then now you have the culture here in America telling you that manhood is toxic, toxic masculinity. What being a man is is not what has it has been in the in the past, and that goes outside the black home. You have the media um, speaking into what is a man, <laughs> or redefining what is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so now there's confusion in roles and genders that once was a foregone conclusion of what that was. Now it's up in the air. It's whatever. It's a social construct. It's whatever people say it is or what they want it to be. And gender is not a social construct. There's an absolute truth biblically and naturally what it, what a man and a woman is. So not going into that rabbit hole, but actually that that says a lot. Now you don't have a man in the home. You're telling the media, which everybody has access to in their palm of their hands. Right. They have a computer. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk says we like I think he says we're like five percent droid anyway. But because we have computers attached to us at all times, we do everything. Emails, calls, um, communicate, social media. It's just a part of who we are, a part of us. So now they have social media, YouTube and all that defining how we're supposed to live our lives. There is a three year old little girl. I love her to death. She's in my neighborhood. And every time she sees me, she says, can I see your phone? Three years old. She knows how to say that. Not only how to say that, how to use it. I want to go on YouTube. So she's not watching cartoons, which I give her to look at YouTube. She's looking at the feed 
to hear grown grown-ups communicate amongst themselves or to communicate to the masses on what is real what is not what is what is good what is hot what's what's right what's wrong and she's soaking this up because um that's what the people around her give her to keep her attention because their attention is diverted somewhere else so now youtube is raising this little girl right and if you talk to her you would swear if she was in another side of a room right or on the other side of the wall and she would talk you would swear she's 12 13 years old she is three years old she talks like she's a teenager and no one corrects her no one they laugh at her because it's funny and who, how is she going to grow up? And you have guys doing the same thing, right? So there's a lack of in that home. And what's been filling with that void, what's filling that void with that lacking is the media. And the media has an agenda, right? When you look at it, they're all doing and talking about it in the same way, right? They're defining what love is. They're defining what men and women are. They're defining or redefining what the family is. They have redefined what marriage is. They have redefined what success is, what success looks like, the pathway and the process to success. So within the home, even if you have a mother and a father, because they've been programmed, they're reprogramming or programming their young ones. And it's not in the right way, which will produce uh, the opportunity to see opportunity and being able to access it. And it's just created a spiral that has gone out of control. How would you say that spiral could be corrected? It seems like such a monumental task that's just infests so much part of our culture, so much part of our lives, and it's tearing, honestly, the fabrics of our nation slowly or rapidly apart. The Bible says, blessed is the nation who God is the Lord, right? So, the nation is no longer blessed because they're moving away from the Lord being its God, right? God bless America was not a uh, absolute terminology that God just automatically blesses America. God bless America. It's just the fact that God blesses America. No, it's an uh, it's a hope that God blesses America. It's a question. God blesses America. It's not an absolute because as we have seen and read in the scripture, God's hand was on Israel, but God's hand being on Israel was him leading them down a certain path because Israel's eyes was not on God. Right. And it wasn't always in a manner of uh, milk and honey, that land that they were supposed to. They also were um, seized and taken into captivity as well. Right. Um, nation was created in captivity in Egypt and then freed and then taken by Assyria, right? And then Babylon and then Persia, all under captivity and then Greek and then Rome, right? All under captivity. So America, which is founded on biblical principles, are not holding God in their viewpoint of what's right and wrong. So therefore, in seeing all of that, the spiral is only going to get worse and it's getting worse before our very eyes. Because if we have read the Bible, we know that 
things are going to get worse because Christ is the answer. And we say that and it's just it's become a um, a cliche. God is the answer. God is the answer. Well, God is the answer. So that means he's going to come quickly, hopefully. Right. And in that he's taking his church out. If you pre um, uh, pre trib and or uh, <laughs> yeah, if you. Yeah. Right. So if if that's where you are. Um, in your theology, understanding revelation, then God is going to come take his church out. Why? Because of judgment that is going to come on earth. Right. And um, it's because of the way that the world is going. And unfortunately, the world is following the leaders of the Western culture. And that's America. Right. And it's been that way since World War Two or since the industrial age in the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s, um, the world is following the way of America, wealth and success, streets paved with gold, right? And unfortunately, the America has taken that ball and dropped it. And now, like the LB, LBGTQ rights plus XYZ rights, it's not only that they want it in, in our culture, but they want to spread that around the world so that spiral is going to keep going out of control it's not going to get better and if christians don't wake up and understand that then um, we're going to get lost in that spiral as well and we have to understand we've read the bible we know what the end result is right god is coming back god is going to establish his kingdom on earth that kingdom come now will be done on earth as it is in heaven so in that we know where our peace lies and what the future holds. And that's unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately that's not in America, right? Because man runs America, man runs the government. So what we can do as Christians is number one, continue to spread the gospel, continue to disciple, continue to raise our families and be the light in our society um, where you're living, be an example of what right and what wrong is, answer questions, continue to pray, and to be diligent and holding firm in the foundations of scripture so that others can pattern themselves after us as we follow Christ. So how can we um, stop this spiral? It's not up to us to stop it. It's We're a part of it. And it's up to us to navigate through it so that um, we don't get caught up or lost in it. A common belief is that there's two very influential institutions in black culture. It's hip-hop and the church. Um, people see a lot about hip-hop in the news and all that, uh, but there's not a lot of talk about uh, the church in the black community. What is is it an exaggeration that's really impactful, or what influence does church have in— on Well, an influence can be bad and good. Yeah. So when you say influence, what what kind of influence? It's just the influence in general. So I do feel that when you run into people, I honestly believe there was somebody grandmother who was in church and brought them to church, right? And they just strayed, but they have some some history in the church, right, or in Bible, right? Um, and I see it all the time. People know the church cliches and. Um, may have read the Bible from time to time. So they know how to play the church game, uh, but it's not in their hearts or their minds, number one. Number two, 
The church does have an influence, and, and unfortunately, what has had the influence on the local church and the black communities is the culture. So what we were talking about, how what success looks like, that's unfortunately how we see God. If you don't have certain things, then you're not blessed. Right. And so there's a prosperity gospel that stems from in the in um, the black community that stems from slavery because we had we went without. So God was in our freedom. Then God was in our prosperity. God was in our uh, our freedom to free us from the strongholds of our enemies or to our oppressors. Right. And that style of preaching um, and prosperity is good to the itching ear who are who is looking for something. They give because they think not because they give based on them being blessed and what God has given them. They give to receive more like it's um, an ATM or a bank, right? Like a savings account. You put in, you expect an interest back when you bring it back. That's not how God works. But that's the influence of when people come to church. They want to hear something to make them feel good. They want to have something that encourages them, not convicts them, right? And only the heart of, of the one who seeks after Christ can be convicted, right? But anybody can be get an inspirational speech, and unfortunately, that's what's prevalent in the church, the black church. It's inspirational speeches, not sermons about who God is, um, what he does, and who you are in him. So the influence in the black community, I say, has of the church uh has um uh as of late i think the church has dropped the ball uh unfortunately if you've ever driven in the south side of chicago there are two things on every other corner liquor stores and churches now my thing is this if you have a church two blocks from another church two liquor stores or a liquor store on either side of the church and in the middle what influence is the church having on the community come on I mean, the church is supposed to have an impact, whereas that it's taking over strongholds, it's getting people homes, it's talking in the schools, it's in the kids. And there are things being done that are changing over the culture and the makeup of the neighborhood. But if you got church, you got even if you got three churches and two liquor stores, if the liquor stores are not supposed to have as much influence as the church. What, what good is the church doing? And why are the churches so close together? Well, they're not working together because we're part of the same team working for the same boss, has the same agenda, under the same will, with the same goal in mind, right? But if that's the case, why so many churches? And then why the influence of the liquor store has more on the community than the churches have? I mean, literally, go down Ashland. Go down go down Halsted. Start from Chicago Avenue and just go down Halsted. You see it start to change. You see the liquor stores. You see the Starbucks. Then as you get to the south side, you'll see the churches literally on every corner. You get to the hood. there. Where I live in Inglewood, there's a church across the street. There's a church down the street. Four churches between 63rd, no, 65th and 69th on the same block in Halstead. Two liquor stores. And on Sundays, the lots in the liquor stores is, is fuller than the ones in the churches. And two of the churches are closed. But still, they, but they online, though. Mm. <laughs> so they got the brick and mortar in the hood, no influence, but yet them liquor stores ain't online. <laughs> you got to go in person, right? Churches ain't like that. 
the pandemic want the, the liquor stores open, churches closed. And the people in the church is like, yeah, that makes sense. What? That's the influence. The culture is influencing the church, which in turn is not having a great impact on the homes or in the neighborhoods. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your questions, but you you answered it perfectly. Okay. Why are there so many churches? Because I feel that, okay, so I grew up in the church, right? I strayed away. I, I rebelled. But my my father, part of my history is my father it was a minister, evangelist, and um, my grandfather was a pastor. So one of those churches I was talking about was actually the ones that's closed with on Halsted. And on either side of them, it's like several churches, several liquor stores, right? Not too far from each other. So there's some, there's the, the thing that I get, and even I hear it now, where well, God has called me to pastor. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, like, what does that mean? God is calling everybody to pastor, everybody to lead, but having no influence because they want the power. They mm. see the, the easy money grab, the raising of the offerings, the women. Bro, you'd be surprised. The women that gravitate to people of power. That's just, I don't want to go there, but yeah, men of power, men see it a position of power and influence over people. So when you get to laying the hands and you get to counseling and now you're intimate and you're very, that opens up doors. But you, you're being called to be a pastor. Man, come on. It's it's very um uh satanic like. Yeah. Everybody's being called. So I have like been very cautionary, even going in MDiv, being at Moody and next to people that I'm like, they're getting a degree to go work in the church and they don't have no business being in anybody's church and leadership. But they got that degree and that's gonna get them into leadership. And that's what people are looking at. So now they got the degree that gives them also not just you're called to be you no know, degree, but now you have a degree. You're called to be in leadership. Now you have that degree that gives you the license to be to lead. And I'm like, man, that is dangerous. And you got people's board members in churches, uh, board board members of churches looking for the degree and not the people. Not the character. Exactly. Yeah. The people, the, the person. Uh, they got the degree. That's all that matters. And it's not until years later, money lost, people people lost, that they realized he wasn't the right man for the job. It's like nobody's reading the Bible, man. <laughs> I don't understand it, man. It's just like nobody. Yeah, that's how why so many churches old and a lot of uh, my grandfather's time. People come from the south, and. Yeah, I want to open up a church. Like it's like saying I want to open up a store. I, I, I don't know. It's it's just that way, bro. It's that way. Before it was these pastors, pastors thirty, forty years. Now they got MDiv in front of their name, doctor in front of their name. So that gives them the license to open up a church, right? It should be fewer churches, more members, greater impact. But instead, there's a lot of churches with not a lot of members. And not the best impact. Have you read the book uh, by uh, Carl Truman, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the uh, Modern Self? No, I haven't. Okay, there's a concept in the book. The people in my workplace talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, Truman illustrates a concept of people in this modern age, it being the last maybe 
150 years. Um, they're searching for platform for institutions to be their platform. For back then, the the trend was the people go to institutions to be molded into um, an ideal of that institution, similar to how how church, how uh, Moody itself functions to train people for ministry. Now, it's more so, kind of shifts to Moody is the platform to where they can be their own little influencers. Mm-hmm. So, all that to say. What advice, cautions would you say to somebody to really reflect on before they try and pursue ministry or be a pastor or open up their own storefront? <laughs> Three words. Are you sure? That should hold you up. People think they got the red green light that are you sure gives you a yellow, a pause for, you know, questioning. Because being a pastor is not easy. Being a good pastor anyway, it's not easy. Because you have responsibility of which God, the Bible says God holds us accountable for these people are under us. And they're bypassing that. And if you're not understanding the, the grave responsibility that comes with being a pastor. Um, and you're just ready to jump right into it with, you know. Uh, it should be a time for pause and reflection and prayer. Like, are you sure this is what God is leading you, not something you want to do because you want to do it? God is calling you. Is he opening the doors? Is he leading you down this direction? And more prayer and reflection should go into that before that takes place. Because my father's been telling me since I was young, God has called you for leadership and ministry. You're going to be a leader in the church. I've been hearing that all my life, and I've been ducking it. And now that I'm at Moody, I'm even more pausing because I'm like, man, this is a lot of responsibility. It's questioning myself, but I'm like, God, are you sure this is for me? Because I'm I'm working, I'm doing the work in ministry, I'm doing the work in feeding the people, I'm I'm preaching, I'm I'm, you know, I'm doing what's necessary to move in a direction, but I'm moving at a caution, not with a thrill. Like I know this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm just like, well, if this is where God wants me, He'll open that door. I'm I'm in no rush, right? But I also want to be obedient as well and want to trust God because if that is a door, then I'm in tune with God and knowing what that's supposed to be. Um, I want to be in business as well. But knowing what's going on out here in business, um, I see a a lane that I can stay in uh, for myself. But even that with caution saying, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of responsibility. It's not fear. It's just I want to check all my. uh, my boxes before I move into that. And and it's just a different move. In business, I want to trust and keep God first and move in that, but there's a structure that I'm following so that I can be successful. And even that doesn't guarantee success. But at the same time, in being in church, a pastor, the only box that I need to check is, am I being prayerful? Am I walking with the Lord? And am I trusting him to lead me in his direction? And that had because I'm leading his people in business. I'm making money in church. I'm leading his people. And there's a, there's a big difference in the two. So, yeah, I just asked just ask the question. Are you sure yourself and God? I think that it's important for us to touch on these things because nowadays people aren't thinking on their own. And 
whatever influence or impact the people are having on other people makes a difference. And the church can make a greater impact, but the church if the church is spewing things of culture and moving in the way of the world, it's the impact is not good. So I'm glad we went down that road because it's important to understand, you know, Me too. the influences that people are having in, in, in our neighborhoods. I don't know if I speak for myself here. I don't know if I or any of our listeners who will be listening to this in about a month from here uh, will have a chance to hear that kind of perspective and that kind of advice of saying, hey, you should slow down. Right. Uh, be prayerful and don't go after it just to open up a storefront and have power and have money. Yeah. Ministry doesn't pay well, but if you're corrupt, it does. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wow. I do, speaking about money, I wanted to ask, oftentimes when people talk about the economic inequality of the inner cities, um, the solution they always propose is just throw more money at it. Bro, bro, bro. First of all, if they're saying that, then you need to run the other way, right? <laughs> so now we get into economics, right? So... What happened when they threw money at it? First of all, Biden got in office and all he had to do was just sit down and let Trump's policies that he had in place come back because um, they were working. People were working. Money was out there and he didn't give away anything. The, pan the pandemic hit. The people who were working just had to sit down for a minute. But Biden had the... The idea that, well, we need to give them money. All you need to do is give them opportunity to get back to work. But now you've thrown money at people. They don't want to work. They don't want to work. So Trump gave them opportunity. Biden is giving them money. So you give somebody money, they're not going to want to. They're not going to want to work. They know. I was ten years old, and there was outside my grandfather's church. There was this guy who used to come around, and me being ten you know, or nine or eight or somewhere like that. I was, I was really, real young. I had money because I was cutting grass or I was doing little odd things to get money before I did things on the street. But that was later in life. But, and my, my dad was in the home, so I had to work. So I had some money at that young age. And my dad was like, you know, gave me a heart to be a giver to help those who are in need. So this guy came and said, Hey, can you get $10? So he, I gave him ten dollars because he sounded like he wanted to feed his. No, it was a it was a girl. It was a woman. She needed to feed her family. She said, "I got kids. I want to feed the family. I need ten dollars to get some food." I gave her ten dollars. She said, "Thank you." My grandfather, my grandfather came to me. He was like, "You gave her ten dollars?" I was like, "Yeah." She said her kids needed food. I'm like, "Yeah, ten dollars to help." At that time, you can get a whole family meal from KFC with ten dollars. So ten dollars went a long way. My, you know, when I was coming up. So that's funny because my dad used to say 50 cent went a long way when he was coming up. So that's <laughs> <laughs> funny. For us, so, it's like $30. Yeah, yeah. It's like 30 years, 40 years apart of inflation. So that next Sunday, my grandfather says, guess what? She's going to come back and she's going to come looking for you. When she comes, come get me. And I was like, okay, cool. So she comes back that next Sunday. She looks a lot of people outside after church. She comes straight for me. She says, hey, can I get 10 more dollars? My grandfather, I didn't even have to come get him. My grandfather came out and she was like, hey, uh, my grandfather, I saw that you took $10 from my grandson. He said you need the food for your family. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, he, can I get $10? And my grandfather was like, I'll tell you what. I'll take you to church's chicken. 
And then we'll go to the grocery store. And then we'll talk about your situation so we can better help you. So this is not something you have to keep coming back. You can do for yourself because we want to help you. She was like, no, I don't like churches. I was like, so what do you say? Let's go to Popeye's. She was like, I don't want Popeye's. Let's go to KFC. We get a family. She was like, y'all don't want to help nobody and stormed out. Now, my grandfather was like, see, she didn't want help. She wanted $10. So I learned something right then and there, right? Number one, if you give somebody something and you keep giving them something, they're going to keep looking for that. And then eventually they're not going to want to. They're not going to want to do it for themselves. I've known people during this period of time quit their jobs because they were making more money on unemployment than going to work. Right. You throw money into the into the economy like Biden did. The only people who make money is the government. So if people in business know that the government is going to pay for it, they're going to raise the price. So inflation happens when you throw, you make more money and money outpaces the resources and the labor to provide those resources. You have inflation. So, yes, you throw money into an economy and it outpaces the resources and the labor. That's what that's what's going to happen. And then you cut off the resources by not cutting off our oil supply and making us dependent Depending on other oil, now the gas is going up. That's what happens. That's what inflation is. So, no, you just can't throw money at a situation because now people are not going, they're going to expect the government to do for them. And that's the problem. They're looking to the government to provide as opposed of self to provide for yourself. And therefore, you get a dependence on the government. So... I don't know if that answers your question. I think it, I don't know. Yeah, I, I want your perspective on that. Yeah. Okay. People so always say you're like, oh, yeah, let's give them money, give them more uh, no. public housing and all that. Uh, they come out with good intentions, uh, but at least some do. I don't think they do. I think there's an agenda. I'm honest and be honest. Do it. I think that the agenda is for the Democrats, at least, I know. They want power. And you just see how they move. Larry Lightfoot shut down the economy. You have to stay in your home. But she wanted to get her hair done. So did Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, shut everything down. But he can have a party. Right. The, the rules and the laws applies to everyone else but themselves, but the ones in power. So if I get everybody drugged up, make drugs legal. If I can get everybody confused about gender. So now they can't be stable, mentally disabled. They have to be dependent on somebody else, right? If I can get everybody and cut out capitalism and say it doesn't work, but I'm 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 throwing money at it so it can blow up, who are you depending on? Now you can't work, you're confused, you're drugged up. Who are you depending on? The government, right? Who's providing all these things to say, oh, we're helping you? The government. So Ronald Reagan says, um, the nine most dangerous words you hear a politician say, hi, um, I am a politician. I'm here to say today. <laughs> really? That's danger. Oh, oh I'm paraphrasing. I, I don't know the nine exact words off the top of my head. Pretty but, he, close. but he said something like that. He was like, hey, I'm the government. I'm here to help. No, no. The government is supposed to make sure that everybody is on the equal playing field so that the results that come about are on you and what you put into there. Right. So 
not have the government involved in everything. So can the money inflation? Come on. Hey, look, reparations. Black folks love their ears. It start when they start to hear that they love the, or they owe us this. Nobody nowadays was ever living in slavery. Uh, right. Nobody's living has lived in slavery at all. Who was black? None. Right. So now you have, unless you were human trafficking, I mean, in modern day slavery is human trafficking is modern day slavery, but the slavery in context of America's wrong, uh, before 1865, there's no living African-American or black, however you want to characterize that, um, uh, who was in slavery. So what do you, what are you owed? So just say they gave you a check. What is the amount you're owed? Is it one thing for every? Now the government is doing what? Printing more. Do you know what ha what would happen if now there's more blacks that were living now than it was at that time in America? Do you know what happened if everybody gets a check? A black person get a check cut to them for reparations. Number one, there'll be a number of them that say this ain't enough. Number two, most of it, I guarantee you, most of them, that money wouldn't last during the week. To the end of the week, you have more Cadillac drugs and clothes and Jordans than you can count. The stores wouldn't be able to hold them. Reparations. They don't even know how to handle the money. Right. And then now you think inflation, uh, what? 12 percent of the population receives a check. Come on. That's, that's ridiculous. Throwing money at something. So they don't see school, they don't see an education, they don't see that as an opportunity to get, they want something given to them. And that is not the solution for anything. So my thought process is here, you've illustrated that there's a lack of personal responsibility and that just giving the, the solution isn't going to fix anything. Uh, well, Bro, you give them a check, they're gonna look for the next one. That's, yeah, the, that's yeah. the first thing they're gonna do. Where's mm -hmm. my next check? Yes. The conclusion I'm arriving at is that maybe then how do you how do you teach personal responsibility if you have a lack of of I don't want to use the word decent schools because that's just broad and, and not specific. You have all, all the crazy stuff talk, being well, talked about there. Well, it's lack of decent homes. That's where it starts. Mm -hmm. The responsibility is not on the schools. It's not on the government. The responsibilities are on the homes, the parents. Right. If the responsibilities are taken up and done there, then the schools won't have an impact. The government can have an impact. This homes will be straight. It won't it won't um, solve everything, but that'll be a great start and it will curb a lot. Because you do have a few black sheep in every family. I was the black sheep in my family. <laughs> so you have, but the one thing my dad gave us was a found foundation and a structure so that when I came back to, I had something to fall back on when I knew what I was doing for myself wasn't working. My dad introduced Christ in our home. We lived it. He lived it. And when I was at my wit's end, when I couldn't have any more, I fell on my knees and humbled myself for Christ. Now, I was able to do that even when I was in prison. People could tell that I had a father. I mean, I was doing certain things. I talked a certain way. I lived my wife a certain way. I did certain things that were different from everybody else. 
Um, but I wasn't the best person. I did some grimy things, but there was just something that stood out. But the thing is, is that the home is where it starts. And if the culture or society or the government is killing the home, teaching responsibility should be something that is taught at an early age. Hey, Johnny, pick up your toys and put them in the toy box. Make up your bed before you leave the home. Make sure you eat breakfast. Eat everything off your plate. When you come home, do your homework, then go outside. Be in at a certain time because there's a curfew, right? Eat what your mom give you or what we make. If you don't, you go to bed hungry. Don't talk back. Yes, sir. No, sir. Dress a certain way. Wash your clothes. Iron them. Make sure you put your clothes away, right? These are things that are taught at an early age. And as you get older, there builds what? habitual behavior it becomes habit if you're teaching kids it's easy for them to pick up which is why our organization and ministry are going after the kids of which we're trying to get the parents involved not just have them drop off their kids but if you're trying to teach adults things and they've been doing things for a long time it is hard to break them of what their habits it's hard to break them of that habit. The school's going to teach it. Some nonprofit going to teach it. The government going to teach it. The government is going to just curtail to or do what they are used to doing. Do you not know? I heard some. Um, um, I forgot who it was. It was some politician. It just said, yeah, let's just make it just make drugs and selling drugs legal. That's what they've done. Let's just make it legal so it keep blacks out of jail. What? <laughs> let's let's make it legal. Now you, you have to have a certain amount caught with before they even do. And now they're making the laws whereas that it's okay to have whatever. And then you can you can you don't even have to have a bail or a bond to get out. What's the consequence? So instead of teaching them, they're just saying, Hey, what you're doing is fine and it's not helping them. So I, I I I just very much believe that there is little thing people are there. There are very few people trying to help people and what they think they're doing by helping them, by giving them what they want. It's not helping them. So it starts in the home, bro, in the home first. Mm -hmm. So you touched on your um, your ministry and nonprofit for a bit. Do you mind telling my audience a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's called Inglewood Family Outreach. Um, we're in Inglewood, and um, we are trying to be a light in a dark place, mm -hmm. right? Um, we are trying to teach and preach Christ. We have Bible studies uh, twice a week, once with the children on uh, Friday afternoons and once on Tuesdays with the adults, with the church, partnering with uh, New Life Bridgeport. Uh, we have um, an after-school program and a resource center. Um, and even with the resource center, it's not like we are giving them anything. We're helping them look for jobs, do resumes, look for housing, um, and giving them or, um, directing them to certain institutions or other nonprofits who are having classes to teach them certain, certain, certain skills, right? 
if you don't have a trade, these are the, the, the places you can go to get a trade and get it paid for, right? If you don't have a GED, this is where you can go get a GED. If you don't have your driver's license or a state ID, this is how you can go get it. And no, for those who are out there, it is not hard for you to get your state ID. So if you need to go and vote and you need a state ID, it's not racist. Anyone can. If you need an ID to go to the bank, you need an ID to get in the club. Why shouldn't it be? Why shouldn't it be okay for you to have an ID to get uh, to go vote? But anyway, that's what we provide. All right. I love we provide it. Provide those love things. It. So um, we're working on to enhancing our scope and our reach. But those are the basics. And if they need anything else, instead of us trying to reinvent the wheel, we're directing them to the organizations that do provide what they're looking for. So we're building partnerships amongst different organizations and the things that the government can help them uh, get certain things um, to get on their feet. Do you have any closing th- closing thoughts of this whole conversation? Anything you'd you absolutely want to get want to get out and share? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, number one, equality and opportunity is what matters. Um, if you have people there, if we have the NBA or the NFL, just picture that, right? At the end of the at the end of the season. There's one winner. Everyone doesn't get a trophy. Last year, who won the Super Bowl? The L.A. Rams. Golden State Warriors won in the NBA. Right? There was a loser. But guess what? At the beginning of the season, everybody starts 0-0. And as you progress during the season, you get wins, you got losses. You got some ties. But there's one winner and 31 other losers. And that right there that we spend our money, that boosts our economy, that provides jobs, is a context of what we can look to to know what equal opportunity lies. And that opportunity is at the beginning of the season. I've played sports in college and in high school. There's hope at the beginning of the season. Hey, maybe we can win state. Hey, maybe we can go all the way, right? Maybe that that can be our outcome. And we work hard over the summer. We work hard during the season to try to get to that goal. But there's only one person that reaches that goal. And then next season we start over and we try to reboot and figure out where we went wrong to try to right our wrongs to try to reach that goal the next year. Why is it different in life? We Sports patterns life gives us strategies for life. Try to give us a blueprint for what life is. It's competition. And even in your own household, you got two, three brothers, sisters come from the same house, ate the same food, had the same opportunities. They're not all doing the same jobs. They all make the same money. Right. It's just that's what the outcome is. So this equity thing that people are preaching and an outcome is is of the devil is wrong. It's not biblical. And the reason why I know that is because I lived it. I was incarcerated for eight and a half years and came out with but nothing, nothing. And didn't want to live in my mom's, on my mom's couch. That one typical prisoner who comes home and has nothing. Oh, he just got out of prison. He's living on his mom's couch. I didn't want that. In the halfway house, they gave me a booklet, a folder. And it was thick, full of opportunities, resources that I got my ID for free. A state ID for free, clothes. I mean, I got 
free dental work. I got a, a free health care. I got free. Uh, um, what that? What is it called? Um, link card. Yeah, link. Link. Mm-hmm. Got that for free. I was indigent. I came out with nothing. Right. I had to use that to get on solid ground to move forward. I don't have a link card anymore. I pay for my insurance. I have investments, an investment portfolio. All of this because when I started out, I used what they gave me as an opportunity. I came back to the halfway house while I was there two months in. They saw all the stuff that I was able to acquire. And the other inmates was asking, how were you able to get this? They got the same folder that they gave us all when we came out of prison and went to the halfway house. They didn't even open their folder. I opened the folder, took everything out, took all the phone numbers, made a lot of phone calls, highlighted all the stuff that they gave me. I still got the folder because those are the opportunities that they said, here, you're going to need this. And so when the other people in the halfway house are coming to me and saying, how did you get these free clothes? How did you get that free dental? Where'd you get that at? How'd you? It's in the folder, bro. <laughs> That's the problem. They're not looking at that folder as something that can help them. I didn't have anything. So I was trying to get anything that I could. But I didn't use those things to stay there. I used it to get to the next point because I had a goal in mind. And now with the house that I'm living in, the wife that I have, the the car that I was able to, that I paid for with the job that God has provided me, it all came through with the hard work. But prayer and knowing that God can bless me with little and then more because what I have, I know all comes from God and I'm able to help someone else. So what I'm saying is I'm not just speaking out of my neck when I speak on these things. I'm living in Inglewood. I'm working at a ministry. I have a job full time. I'm still in school and I've only been out five years. So in those five years, I'm not probably where I should be or what I could be because I did have some stumbling blocks of which I put on myself. I'm human. But I'm much further than if I wouldn't have taken advantage of the opportunity that I had coming out of prison. And I just thank God that he gave blessed me with parents who raised me right. And I had um, the support system here at Moody Bible Institute to support me, to encourage me here and there and, and give me the opportunity. I've been in prison. I got a key to every building in, in on the campus, access to everywhere. And they trust me because they know me. And it just boggles my mind, like, how God has brought me. So when I speak on equality, I speak on equity. When I speak on um, the South Side, when I speak on the church, when I speak on um, the broken homes, right, I'm lived it, I'm living it, and I'm ministering to it. So this is not something you can combat me with, with your numbers or pseudo um uh, figures. No, I'm in it. So I'm telling you from experience and from observation. So I hope everyone is able to take this from someone who is um, knowledgeable and versed on these issues. Um, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Ron, and from sharing from your heart and from your experiences.
Thank you so much for listening to this third episode of Meet Me in the Middle. Stay tuned for next Tuesday where we got a two special bonus episodes premiering that day, continuing the conversation on economic inequality and also revisiting the topic of political polarization. We're nearing the end of this podcast here, and it's been a pleasure to have you all along for the ride. Uh, So tune in next Tuesday, and then on Wednesday we'll have an election uh, day special talking more so about how we can reform our democracy. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope to see you then.